0: Welcome to TechBytes.NZ, tech and leadership talks with two Ns. I'm Craig Young, CEO, and this week we're talking with Jordan Carter, CEO at Internet New Zealand. They're the operator of the .NZ domain and a charity that helps New Zealand harness the power of the Internet. Well, kia ora and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us on our latest TechBytes.NZ chat. Um, where we sit down with digital leaders, influential leaders, and have a chat to them about some of the issues of the day. Today, I'm really pleased to be joined by a colleague and a friend, uh, Jordan Carter, the CEO of Internet New Zealand. We've got a range of questions we're going to go through today, partly some of them to do with, for example, the banner that's sitting behind him, but we might even chat about the budget at some stage as well. So kia ora, Jordan. Kia ora, Craig. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, Look, people may have heard of Internet New Zealand but don't know the link to .nz. Mm-hmm. and the domains in Aotearoa, so do you want to just talk a little bit about how Internet New Zealand works and how, how it does that sort of stuff?
1: Sure, um, I guess I think of us as a social enterprise. Um, we're an organization that was set up in 95 to be the the steward, the kaitiaki of the .NZ domain name space. Uh, it's the main operational activity we do, and you know, a bit over half of our you know, half going on two thirds of our our expenditures on running the technology and doing the market monitoring to make sure that dot and z is um, a fair and usable domain name space for Kiwis. About seven hundred and twenty five thousand domain names registered in the space as well, and so we um, invest the profits from that work into our public good stuff, be that events, policy work, grants, and funding partnerships, and so on. Um, and the whole the whole thing is that is a, a kind of um, important identity for New Zealanders online. Um, and we need to be a sort of fully reliable partner in making sure that system is always available, always working and so on. So that's kind of what we do. We sort of do that important work and invest the proceeds and trying to make the internet better and trying to support internet communities to make best use of it.
0: Um, is that a sort of common model around the globe on how these um, top tier domain names are managed?
1: It's fairly common, yeah. <clears throat> there's, sort of, there's that category of community NGOs that were set up back in the 90s when people thought, oh, we don't want governments to do this. And sometimes they thought, oh, we don't want big telcos to do this. So um, the Aussies have got a similar model. The Canadians do too. Um, the Swedes, the Dutch. Um, so there's that, there's that model. There are other countries where it's done as part of a government agency. Um, and there's a small number of countries where it's just ended up in the for-profit private sector. Uh, but in countries we usually compare ourselves to. It's a pretty common model.
0: Cool. Now, you've been there quite a while, so can you now talk about yourself? <laughs> Tell us a little <laughs> bit about, about about your background and how you ended up in the role you do now, because I do know you've been involved in um, politics in the past too, haven't you? Well, yeah, well, and I, well political environment, yeah. When I, when I
1: was in the... Um... When I was a student at university, I was uh, very keen to argue about politics with everyone and, and did a bit of candidate stuff um, for the Labour Party way back in the day, 15 years ago or so. Um, and uh, I got involved with Internet NZ then as a kind of activist. And that was around this obscure issue of how we ran the .NZ domain name space. <laughs> and I, I got kind of captivated by this the Internet thing, basically. You know, ADSL was just kind of out the gate. We were getting rid of the horrible dial-up worry noises and having to have a second phone line at home and all that stuff. And I was just intrigued by the impact it was having. And you could see that everything was going to change. And the only question was how fast and in what way. Um, And the reason I'm still here, gosh, that was 21 years ago, I think when I first got involved um, is because things have kept changing and our organization has changed a lot, but the internet's impact has changed phenomenally. And if you were, you know, sort it um, at an event with you yesterday, where we were talking about eight gigabit to the second symmetrical um, connectivity to the home, not being far away, and four gig already on the market, it's, you know, it's, it's it's just absolutely transformed what we can do at home, as massively proved by the lockdown experience many people had last year. Uh, and it's changed justice. It's changed the economy system. It's changed healthcare. It's changed education, and so um, you know, it's still tech. It's still the internet. But um, nothing is really the same as when I first got involved, and so that's kept me in the role. And I worked my way up the ranks at work and um, ended up in the CEO job. So yeah, I kind of, you know, just have been interested in this work and and followed it through um, over a long period of time.
0: Cool. And and just can you expand a little bit more about you know those experiences as you've come through um, the come through the um, organization. How's that help prepare you to lead what is, it's not a very big organization, but it's quite complex in the way yeah. that it's set up and, and your reach and your impact. So you want to ex- ex- talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess in, in organizational life these days, it's more common that people don't do a long time in one place. So yeah. it is a bit unusual in that sense. And, and I guess one of the advantages of it is you, ha- you have all the background of where things have come from so you're, you're not surprised by things internally as often as some people might be. You don't get blindsided by stuff that has happened. Um, so that's a plus. Uh, I guess a minus is that you have less experience of other organizations and the way they do things. But of course it's just one job among a team of 40 plus, so, so I'm not sitting here and making all the decisions <laughs> by myself as a CEO. Um, and so it's a lovely sort of um, perspective to be able to bring. Um, and kind of what it's taught me the the biggest lesson over that long period of time is how important the community around our organization is. None of the work we do would have any impact if it was just us and the people who are on our payroll doing it um, outside that sort of narrow technical service specialization. That broader social impact absolutely relies on kind of motivating and inspiring other people in the work they're doing, learning from them, being really connected across the the technology and internet communities, um, which have grown more, Diverse and and more sprawling as as the internet has become more important. So I guess that so that internal expertise about how the place works has helped, um, and the chance to think about the developments in technology and its impact kind of as they've happened um, has been a really lovely opportunity of that as well. Um, I've been able to sort of see some trajectories and things like connectivity, technology, and and the economic impact of it um, over a long time. So. Yeah, and, and, and the complexity, I guess, of our organization is something that we've simplified in the last few years with some structural changes to merge some of our multiple boards and CEOs and so on. So we're trying to make it a bit more of a <laughs> normal organization on that front. Um, but, yeah, it's just that kind of experience and kind of being attentive to what other people and what other organizations do as well.
0: Yeah. Hey, look, I, didn't, I, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this, but, you know, we all learned something about ourselves during COVID, right? Um, mm. you know, lockdown and how we managed it. Did you learn anything in particular around how you led an organization during lockdown?
1: Uh, uh, different things at different periods of it. Um, yeah. At the first was the importance of really speedy, practical decision-making to get into um, a situation that we could we could manage. So we did a, a three-day work from home trial in early March last year, mm. and that was massively invaluable. It was two weeks later, we were all doing it compulsorily for weeks. Um, so that was part of it and actually being more in touch with people. so more contact, more checking in um, especially with people who were directly reporting to me. Um, and the other thing that we we tried to we really, you know it wasn't just a lockdown, it was a lockdown during a global pandemic that was and is killing, many, many people affecting many people's families overseas yeah. and yeah. right at the start, we had no idea whether it was going to really get loose and take off here yeah. as well. So it's massively stressful. And one of the things that we decided to do is say to people, look, you, you're here living in this time and look after yourselves. That is more important than arbitrary deadlines here at work or, you know, really trying to bust a gut. Um, so we really, we said that and we meant it and it changed the feeling of how we were all getting through this thing together. And in in the way that I guess won't be a surprise to many people people ended up doing heaps of work. We got lots of stuff down. Um, it didn't lead to people just sort of folding up and and, and sitting around and the thing the other thing I learned is that I like zoom a lot less than I thought I did <laughs> and a really, a really ambitious effort to be like replicating a meeting schedule and being online for five or six hours a day rapidly had to go by the wayside. There were suddenly yeah. a lot more telephone calls without video yeah. uh, and a lot more one-on-one check-ins and less uh, meeting time because the, the eyes turned pretty square within that first week or two.
0: Yeah. Interesting. I remember that uh, three day work at home test that you did because uh, i People may not know I share. I actually sit in the Internet New Zealand office in Auckland and I was the only one there for three days. So it was really quiet, got lots of things done that to (laughs) But uh, uh, look, just talking about yourself a a, a little bit more, uh, one of the, uh, well, actually it's wider than that, but Mm. one of the things you've been very publicly involved in, and there's photos of you standing next to the Prime Minister, as she speaks, et cetera, is around the Christchurch call. Um, and the work that's been done since then and I know there's been there was a big uh, hui over the weekend but can you sort of summarize uh, in your own words what that Christchurch call is and how it's progressing?
1: So the Christchurch call was part of um, New Zealand's response to the terrorist attacks on the Muslim communities in Christchurch and I just want to sort of note the fact that 51 people in Aotearoa died there Mm. Um, and so part of our response to society has been to think about how we deal with that kind of extremism in real life. And the Royal Commission looked at that. Um, but there was also the fact that it was live streamed on social media and aimed to weaponize the internet, um, to you know, magnify the harm done to those, those families and communities in Christchurch, but also to, to take the social media platforms and to use them in a way that's totally against their their terms and conditions. So the Christchurch call was a call an ask, a request yes. to say, let's eliminate terrorist and violent extremist content online. Um, and you know, at a, on on one hand, that's a laudable goal. On the other hand, complete elimination is is impossible. But what the call did was set out some commitments from companies, from governments, to how that the propagation of this would be reduced. Uh, and it um, had a civil society lens of saying, it isn't just governments, companies that know about this. There's lots of expertise and NGOs and academia um, that want to help work on this problem alongside those parties. So I got asked by the government to um, chair that civil society um, side of things as, as a gathering a couple of days before the summit in Paris in 2019. Um, and, and so the impact of the call has been that there's new crisis protocols in, in place that weren't there before done by action under the call to make sure that governments and companies can coordinate better. There's been ongoing work around trying to improve our understanding of algorithms and the impact that they have in propagating or not propagating content like this. Because I think the idea is that um, if we can get the situation where when material like this comes online, it doesn't really spread because the algorithms aren't spreading it and it gets taken down as quickly as possible, that's what we want. And we want that on the biggest platforms, you know, the Facebooks, the YouTubes and so on, because that's where the most people are. And so that's where the most harm can get done. It isn't about trying to fix all the dark corners of the internet per se, it's about sort of trying to get this out of the mainstream lens. And it seems like it's had an impact. You know, that the, companies had never committed to that before. Um, And there is less of this material around. So the success of the call is actually in what people don't see and don't notice, which is videos like this popping up Mm. on their feeds. And the other thing that was really great about it was that it showed a bit of an understanding by New Zealand. You can't just like pass a random law and fix these problems. It was really disappointing that that happened in Australia. It was just some kind of punitive penalty based rush to a legislation. Of course, they were a couple of weeks out from a general election, so I don't doubt that that influenced what the Morrison government did on that front. But we took the sort of slightly less um, uh, politically easy road to say actually, you know, persuading the companies and getting other governments on board and having a more mature discussion about saying, this is a hard problem, let's try and solve it together is the approach that was taken. So the summit that was just, there was a three and a half hours yeah. Zoom meeting on, um, or, or what was it, Microsoft Teams or something on um, Saturday morning. And that was quite good. It set out some new work plans for the coming year on this algorithm problem. Um, on actually how you build this community of interest between companies, countries, and, um, and NGOs on how to progress the work of the call. Um, and a couple of, you know, there's I think there's more on the crisis protocol. I haven't got the list on my hand. But mm. it's an interesting little experiment. It isn't going to be like the silver bullet that fixes the internet, but it's about New Zealand taking um, a new and interesting role in internet policy, which we've been really pleased to see and um, following through on it to really make a bit of a difference.
0: And we've seen a bit of momentum with it just in the last couple of weeks with a number of countries joining, mm. including the USA. So it's... Um, I thought that was really good, yeah. yeah. Because so, so
1: many of the big companies are based there, right? So mm. having them online and and supporting the the work of the call is good from that point of view. And it's also good, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, well, what about um, freedom of expression? And because of the American legal system, you know that that'll be a... Um, a constraint on them so the the chances of any overreach under this initiative are pretty low which i'm i'm pleased yeah. about as well there is a website isn't there is it just Christchurch? It Christchurch call? call yeah, yeah. it's, it's christian call.com i think though oh. we we got them a nz name as well <laughs> <laughs> uh, so people can find a bit more about what the call is um on that website and i'm sure eventually it'll be updated to show what the yeah. current work plan is
0: Hey, look, it's a really interesting um, project you're involved with, because, you know, how it fits with Internet New Zealand and its position over the years. But let's talk more about that, that issue around um, privacy, the impact of the Internet and uh, the stuff you are talking about in the Christchurch call. Should we still be using words like, you know, an open and unfettered Internet or world online? a
1: great question and i could talk about it with you for a long time i mean we've as our our organization is currently saying that we want the internet to be better so an internet for good and that's about the way the technology works and the regulatory and various policy settings and so on Uh, and we want the internet to be for everyone so uh, really working on digital equity and digital inclusion and i'm sure we'll talk about that stuff later but Mm. um privacy is absolutely integral to this. And we, after what happened in Christchurch, um, we used to talk about openness a lot and openness is a kind of abiding underlying condition of what makes the internet um, work. You know, it's a, it's a network of networks. It's people interconnecting and voluntarily agreeing to share traffic. Um, they just implement the protocols and standards that anyone can get hold of online and they can, they can join this huge fabric of information and communication. Uh, and I think what's happened over the last ten years or twenty years, like back in the day, the original technologists were like, "Leave us alone, governments. Nothing yeah. to see here. You yeah. have no role." Uh, and people have grown up a bit from that. You know, the internet. Um, the bad things that happen on the internet are a reflection of society, and the bad things that happen more broadly, and so are the good things. And there's way more good than bad online, just like there is offline. Um, but the privacy thing is interesting. I don't know if this is the angle you're going for because no, of the amount of okay, well, the went... amount of the amount of data that we're all prepared to share now right yeah yeah Um, and various you know you can debate how knowledgeable people are about what they're trading away for these free services that they get from all sorts of providers Um, you can have a dialogue about the need to implement encryption more broadly within the fabric of the internet so that data traveling over it is less open to prying eyes um, you can sort of start talking about consumer data rights, which Australia um, in particular has been doing a bit of a look at recently say, well, you know, if I want to leave social platform A and go to social platform B, I should be able to easily export my data and take it with me. So there's all sorts of um, layers there, but we want to keep that sort of fundamental aspect of the internet that says, I've got a great idea. I want to invent this new web service or you know, I want to start the next zero or whatever, that should stay open. So that that level of openness where you don't have to get someone's permission or fill out a form to start offering new services online. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, changing laws and regulations so that um, organizations with masses of wealth and
0: power online are held to account,
1: yeah, that has to happen as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And of course, if you want people to um, start and use their ideas, you'd be encouraging them to get a .NZ domain name, wouldn't you? We would. Yeah.
1: It's, yeah. A, it's well trusted and it's um, a good part of being a
0: Kiwi online. Yeah, I think so too. Um, look, we, we were talking yesterday about the budget and just going through it and trying to figure out what the money was going to. And, um, but both of our organizations uh, are committed to shrinking the digital divide. And that's what we were looking for yesterday, you know, and improving involvement of uh, Maori Pacifica, um, socioeconomic economic areas, etc., and the digital opportunities. So um, New Zealand's taking quite a strong lead in that. Uh, you know, what are some of the initiatives that you and your organisation are getting underway when it comes to that divide or inclusion?
1: I think um, we've, we've been, we started talking about digital divides and we moved to um, digital inclusion. And the kind of way we're thinking about it at the moment is digital equity. It's where everyone has the, the chance to participate in the online world that we're all building. Um, and we, we realized you know, that we can't, we can't achieve that by ourselves. The telcos yeah. can't do that. The government, it needs to be a broader dialogue. So we've been working with a bunch of um, other organizations to pull together something called the Digital Equity Coalition Altero. Um, And it's not accidentally comes out as DECA when you do it, which will remind a few few listeners of the 80s (laughs) department store. Um, But uh, people can find a bit of info about that, I think, at digitalequity.nz online. And that's basically trying to build a coalition of practice and knowledge to um, put more pressure on the key players that could really help solve this problem. Because you know, we all, again, coming back to last year, you couldn't have had a more vivid example of how important it is for people to be able to be online, um, to know what they're doing online, to keep themselves safe and make productive use out of, of what is online, not just entertainment. Um, As as like a, an ever more important part of modern society, if you can't go on, like imagine if the internet mm. stopped for a week. Yeah. You just need to really imagine that with smartphones and, and computers to go, oh God, like, this is a problem. And there are some people in our society who are locked out of that. And it's because it's foundational to modern life. It's foundational to people's well-being. I was pretty disappointed that there wasn't any action on this um, from the government in this year's budget. Lots of other initiatives and lots of money spent on some good stuff. But um, this one is a weird one because it wouldn't take all that much uh, investment to really make a difference here. But the money isn't flowing, and so part of the point of the coalition is to really make the case and really get the evidence together, so that it's a it's a no brainer for action. And I guess the target then is next year's um, next year's government budget, because this saves money for public services. You know, if people can get online to do. Um, to do schooling when there's a, a, an issue of health, like we've had, if there's um, the ability to get jobs online, if you can deliver public services reliably online. Um, there's massive wins for government, just as a practical thing, as mm-hmm. well as all of the other good things that can come from people's lives when they can make use of this tech. So we really want to see that. Um, yeah. Besides that, we've got a couple of like direct things that we're doing. We've got um, our community funding program, which is a million dollars a year at the moment, um, has got a big focus on digital equity. And we've also been working with um, you know, part of this, this dialogue around, well, is the money you're spending effective? Not just us, but also government needs that answer, like whether yeah. digital equity investment is worth it. So we've been doing some work about impact measurement and how you can um, make tools available to help people like DIA, Department of Internal Affairs, and other philanthropic organizations really measure and improve the impact of, of the work that they're doing. So that's just a that's kind of the stuff we're doing, and obviously being a voice for it. You know, it isn't yeah. enough to just say, "Oh well, we've built ultrafast broadband, we've got some rural broadband initiatives." Go for your life, people. The job's done. The job yeah. isn't done. No, um, it's not. and there's heaps of work to do.
0: Yeah. Well, like that those sound all really interesting, exciting initiatives. And one of the things I like working, um, you know, with you and your organisation is you like to work with people, so you're prepared to share. Um, share resources, but also just share information and, and encourage people to work together in partnerships. Yeah, um, we just, win.
1: We win when yeah. everyone is winning. Like you know, yeah. there's no there's no kind of hero complex here. Like so it's not lovely to be able to support various communities of practice and and so on with information with insight, um, because you know it brings everyone along and you get a better outcome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, look, it's been a, a real pleasure to sit down and have a chat to you um, and a one-on-one like this um, often we just pass each other walking down mm. the corridor so uh, but this has been great to go through those anything else you want to share with them um, with the people who are listening in today
1: oh just a, maybe a cheesy little pitch for membership i mean if you oh, yeah. <laughs> if you like that focus on the
0: if you like that focus on digital
1: inclusion and equity um and on helping make the internet better um you can show your support by joining internet nz and that would be great um Pretty low cost, um, easy access thing to do. Um, and we're always keen for more people to sort of amplify the voice that we've got.
0: Well, yeah. Oh, well, thanks so much, Jordan Kia ora and thank you. Um, in two weeks' time, I'll be talking to Paul Conway, who's the senior economist at the BNZ, uh, around some of the reports and work they've done around um, digital inclusion and uh, impacts on the New Zealand economy, and his part in getting the Digital Boost Alliance up and running, which we're doing a launch next week. So, um, once again, thank you all for joining, and uh, you, um, if you're uh, involved. Live, or if you're listening in, so we really appreciate it. And uh, thank you, Jordan. Thanks, Craig. Kaki, Jay. Yeah, Matiwa.